Well, why don't we give God a great big hand clap of praise in this house? In the words of uh, my dear departed friend, Dr. Matt King Carter, who was the eminent pastor of, of the New Mount Olive Baptist Church here in the city, uh, he had this saying, and I'm paraphrasing it somewhat, um, I'm, I'm elephant elated and hyena happy <laughs> uh, to be in your presence today. I am I am excited to be here. I I've been here before, and um, I said this morning that you know sometimes when people invite you, um, particularly to preach, and they invite you back, it could be for multiple reasons. It could be that you didn't do so well the first time. Inviting you back just to see if you are able to do better. And they want to give you another chance. The other reason is you did all right and they they inviting you back because they liked you. Well, I don't care which one it is. <laughs> to be honest, I'm just excited. <laughs> well, that's good enough too. I, know. <laughs> I pray I do better this time. But I, I'm just glad to be here, and I want to thank, I really want to thank your pastor, thank Tom for the love and support that uh, he gives me, and I, I've grown to love him dearly. I, I told a group one time that he's kind of like a brother from another mother, because he and I, when we're, when we're together, um, he, he claims that he gleams so much from me that I don't, I really... I'm not sure of that, but I do know when I leave him, I, I leave him a whole lot better than I were, than I was before I came to him. So before we met, every time I'm just uh, awestruck by his love for God, his love for, for, for you, uh, the people of God, his love for the community, and um, I'm just excited to know him. And I'm grateful to him. And I also am grateful for the support that um, you give to us. Scott and others work very closely with my brother, Rosby, who's over, uh, who's a uh, human services corporation. And uh, uh, the support you give us is uh, tremendous and it helps us do the work that we do. God has called us to do. A work in the heart of this community. I call it hood work <clears throat> because we're in what we call the hood, the neighborhood. Uh, just about every negative statistic that you can, uh, you can name in Broward County is located in the 33311 area. And so God has called us to that, to that, to that area to do ministry to what the people we call the least lost and left out. And because of your partnership with us, um, we are able to do it more efficiently. I just got a text this morning from one of uh, our, the young lady who serves as an outreach person that on yesterday we served over one, 
thousand families uh, back to school, book bags, clothes, free haircuts, a whole lot of other things that we were able to do uh, over at um, Josie Carter Park, uh, trying to be a, be a blessing to the community. And so thank you so very much for your support that you give us. And um, if there are those of you who are golfers and you want to just, if you don't play, want to help sponsor our tournament, that's fine. See me right after church and uh, we will give you all this information. But give yourselves a hand for the wonderful partnership that you have shown to us at Mount Bethel. <clears throat> and I met, met a young brother who uh, started his piano lessons uh, at our church. A uh, young lady by the name of Carol Davis, who was our minister of music uh, at that time, uh, uh, had, a, had a little school of music, and uh, he, he started his music journey at our church. James Ross, your drummer. Come on, let's thank God for Brother James. <clears throat> I want to help, so I want to say I helped train that boy, but I can't say that. And we're also glad to have with us today who came to our to this particular service, um, uh, uh, the director of church administrator, uh, uh, she's the director of church administration, and she's my ex- executive assistant, um, uh, Kia Green. Kia Green. We stand, Kia. She's in the back. A- amen. She helps, takes care, <clears throat> and makes sure this ministry is run the way it should be run. So we're glad to be here. Thank you for for your, your, your support. And every now and then, if, it, if you can find it in you, every now and then, I'm a call and response preacher. Every now and then, if I say something that sounds all right, sounds, that sounds right, say amen if you can find, you, you can find one. So let's practice that word. Amen. amen. Now, if you don't know when to say it, I'll tell you when I'm looking down and uh, just happen to look up, that means I'm looking for an amen. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Be who you are and I'll be who I am. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Jesus is speaking to the apostle John who is exiled on, on this island called Patmos. He speaks to him Gives him insight into this letter he he writes to seven seven churches. He says this about one of the churches. He says, "I want you to write to this church at Ephesus, Ephesus, and here's what I want you to tell him: I know your works, your labor, your patience." And that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience. And have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless. I have this against you that you have left your first, first love. Then he goes on to say, 
Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your candlestick from its place unless you repent. Then in verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him, her, who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I want to talk for a few moments from the subject, the danger of leaving your first love. The danger of leaving your your first love. I want to preface this, this lesson today by simply saying to you that um, in true transparency, <clears throat> every time I read this text, there are, some, there, are, there are some verses in the Bible that every time I read them, and this is one of them, I'm challenged. This text challenges me. It caused me, it's caused me to do a self-analysis, to do a self-evaluation of the reason I continue to do ministry. The reason I continue to preach this gospel, the reason I serve God. The reason we do the work that we do in our in the community in which we live and in other communities, not only here, but in St. Lucie County. I have to ask myself, is it out of a sense of duty? Or do I genuinely have a deep abiding love for Christ? I've been doing this thing for a long time. I've been doing this thing for ministry a long time. I've been walking with God for over 60 years. And I have to evaluate myself. Why are you doing what you are doing? Is it out of duty? Is it out of a sense of responsibility? Or do you really love Jesus Christ? You know, I believe that that's that's a question that that all believers need to ask themselves from time to time. Why am I serving? Why am I doing what I'm doing in ministry? Why am I giving? What are my motives? Why do I, why do I show up for church on Sundays and on special occasions and doing special Bible study sessions? Why Am I doing this? Because I believe that one of the problems in the church is that in many instances, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the church. We have allowed the good to become the enemy of the best. We can spend so much time doing the work of Christ. We can spend so much time serving Christ. That we lose sight of him. We become so enamored with the work of Christ that we forget all about the Christ of the work. And so when we lose sight of him, 
then we open the door for Satan to go to work in the church. And one of his schemes is literally to thwart the word of God and the work of God. And one of the things he does is cause schisms and divisions in the church, knowing that a house divided against itself cannot, cannot stand. He also causes gossip and jealousy and suspicion and pride to operate in the church. He causes people to take, to take their eyes <clears throat> off of Jesus and his word and causes them to focus on things that in the grand scheme of things have no real value. He uses every tool in his arsenal to discourage and dishearten the people of God. And if that doesn't work, he pulls out another set designed to deceive, to divide and discourage. And he will work hard to divert us from the word of God and the work of God. And the fervor we once had for God is replaced with the acceptance of things just as they are. And what the enemy wants us to do is to become so satisfied with who we are or where we are with what we are doing with what we have already accomplished that instead of having a passion for Christ and his kingdom we become complacent and content with things the way they are now that's the picture that is painted of this church in this text in many ways, it shows us why the church is in decline today. There are some churches that, that are still growing, but, but if you do a close study, what you will find that the church in America particularly is on the decline. And one of the reasons, I believe, is that we've allowed the good to become the enemy of the best and the church has left its first love. Therefore, we must be vigilant. We, we must be on guard both corporately and individually against losing the passion for the things of God but losing, more importantly, our passion for him. We must be guard against becoming what the church of Ephesus had become. Now, when you look at this church, that was something special about this church um, uh, of Ephesus. In Ephesus, it was the only church in the New Testament that had letters addressed to it by two apostles, one Paul and the other one John. And, and, and when Paul wrote the, his letter uh, uh, to, the, to the church at Ephesus, the church was in its heyday. It was at its peak. But when John picked up his pen several years later uh, and wrote his letter, the church was in, decline, in a decline and it was in crisis. The tide was going out. They had lost their way. They had left their first love. The furnace was still there. But the fire was almost extinct. The coolness, a coolness has crept into the relationship with God, with the Lord. And, and in, it, it is into this community of believers that, 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 that Jesus now speaks through 
the Apostle John. And this text is a text that's prophetic, that's preventative and prescriptive. God does not want us to become like the church at Ephesus. Look at a few things. Look at a few verses and I'm going to take my seat. Uh, I want to look at a few things. First of all, there's Jesus's uh, uh, commendation of the church. Listen to what he says. I know your works, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear those who are evil. Oh God, you, you, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and you have found them liars and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. One writer said that they were doing several things. They were serving. They were serving. I heard someone say there, there are three groups of people in the church there are the shirkers who do nothing. There are the jerkers who start out uh, fine, give a jerk or two, and then run out of gas spiritually. Finally, there are the workers. They are the ones that can be counted on uh, no matter what happens. And so these people were serving. Um, they, they were sacrificing. They gave themselves to the work of ministry. They were steadfast. They kept going. Even when the going got tough, they were separated. They didn't align themselves to that which was false. They separated themselves from anything that smelled of false doctrine. They were suffering. They carried heavy burdens and they never gave up. Sounds like a great church they were standing up to the task at hand they were they were standing up for the truth of the word of God they publicly exposed false prophets they were standing firm in the midst of trials they, they would not allow the world to influence their worship or their walk I mean you can you can you can take our hats off to these people they didn't look like saints on Sunday and sinners on Monday everyone attending their services would have been in awe of their work and of all the great things they were doing and when they looked at their calendar they would have been amazed at at all the activities they were performing and none of this went unnoticed by Christ while the people around them were looking at them, uh, someone more important than all of them uh, had his eyes on them. In fact, he said he was walking in uh, the very midst of them. And here's the deal. They didn't know it. But, but Jesus had his eyes on them. That can be awe-inspiring or it can be a leery feeling. Knowing that while we are in worship, while we are doing God's work, Jesus has his eyes on us. So he gives them a, 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 a commendation. He gives them a thumbs up. And he says, he says, great job. Great job. But that's not all he says. Second thing we see is his condemnation of the church. Listen to what he says in verse four. Nevertheless, I have this against you. That you have left your first love. Imagine. All the stuff that Jesus has said about them prior to this verse. How wonderful 
they were, all the great work that they are doing. And now he hits them with this verse. Nevertheless, I have something against you. What could he have against the church like this? He says, you have left your your first love. Oh, they started out strong, but over time, things began to change. A few generations had come and gone since Paul preached uh, to them. And while they remained faithful to the work of God and had endured hardship, there was something lacking. They loved their church. They still loved their doctrines. They loved their activities. They, they still loved their busy schedules. They just didn't love Jesus like they once did. They had lost their passion. They had become ritualistic in their service uh, to God like the zeal that, that, that it once had. Some, everything had become mechanical. They, they, had, they, they had become mechanical. I, I told I told the early uh, service, um, 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 my wife and I, have been married 53 years, 53 years. And, uh, um, oh, yeah, 53. Yeah, we got, we got married, uh, got married at age 19. And, 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 um, that's, that's, you know, we started dating when we were in high school. So we've been together, uh, oh my God, a pretty long time. Yeah, got married right out of the first year of college. We realized that we couldn't. She was in Atlanta. I was in Fort Valley, Georgia. I was in college there. She was in college in Atlanta. And every other weekend or every weekend I could find, I was, that, 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 during that time, you could stick your thumb out on the highway and you can catch a ride. And I would be catching a ride with these cats from going through that lived in Atlanta. I would be catching a ride almost every weekend going to Atlanta uh, to stay with my boy so I could, so I could spend some time with, with, with my future wife. And after the first year, we decided that we can't do this no longer. We decided that uh, we, we, we would get married. And we've been married um, um, ever since. But, 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 but I must admit, I must admit, and, and it took the, it took the, the, the wedding was two hours long. The wedding was two hours long. A wedding was two hours long. We were on time. It wasn't, it wasn't about three or four of us in the wedding. We were on time. But it was the preacher's fault because, because every prayer in the prayer book that could be, that could be read, he read it because he understood that he needed to pray over me because he understood if this marriage was going to last, God had to be in it because I was a little wild back then. And if you, if, if the lady Glover was here, you would have to give her a standing ovation because this marriage lasted long. But every now and then, through these years, I have to be very, very careful, and we, I, I can speak for myself, I have to be very, very careful that, 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 that I don't do things and they become mechanical. The things I do become mechanical and, and the love began to wane and uh, I have to make sure, I have to, I have to check myself uh, uh, and begin thinking about all the things that I, when I first met her, the things I loved about her. Uh, I wish I had somebody in here. I have to be very, very, I have to be very careful so that, so that, that fire that, that, that we had when we, when we first got together does not go out. Because if you're not careful, even in a marriage, your, 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 the, the love you had when you first begun 
if you're uncareful, it will begin to wane if you aren't careful. No, wait, let me rephrase that. I have to be, I had to be careful that the love I had for her at the very beginning continued until now. And what I was doing for her, I was not doing it uh, out of duty. I would, I, I continually do it out of love. It, the other day, I was, I was, I was, uh, I went to the, I went to the pharmacy and I went to pick up some stuff and I went over to the card section and, uh, I found this little card, didn't have any, didn't have any words, didn't have a lot of words. It just said, uh, chapter one, my heart. And it had a little heart, chapter one, my heart. Open it, open it up, chapter two, it, it had this big heart that says, my heart with you, the end. Every now and then, I have to do some stuff to remind myself of how much I love this girl and that's what Jesus says Jesus says I got a problem with you you're doing good stuff but you don't love me like you once did Everything had become mechanical. They, they didn't, and, and here's the deal. You got to get this. They had left their first love. And they didn't even know it. They were, they were, they were working. They were serving. They were sacrificing. They were giving. They were doing great things. They were exposing false prophets. They didn't, they, 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 didn't, they didn't hang out with people they considered evil. But they had left their first love and they didn't even know it. They didn't even know that there was a problem between them and Jesus. They didn't even know that Jesus had a problem with them. They they thought their problem was external. They thought their problem were people outside of the church. When in actuality their problem was internal and their problem was in their heart because many of them had left their first love. In fact, most of them, Jesus said to the church, You have left your first love. Someone wrote when, when we leave our first love, uh, we focus on the form instead of the substance of our faith. We no longer desire to live godly. And godliness is consistent conduct that is consistent with the character of God. That when we leave our first love, we're no longer concerned about living godly. We're, 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 we're content with what we are in who and who we are instead of desiring to be more like Christ. We, we become insensitive to the Holy Spirit and become desensitized to those besetting sins that distract and enslave us. 
And someone says besetting sins are not those sins where we shake our fist up at God and say, we don't care what you say, we're going to do it anyway. Besetting sins are those sins that, 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 that have us trapped and enslaved. And even though we want to we wanna do right, we want to do the right thing, those besetting sins keep us trapped. And uh, we have to constantly be crying out to God for help and for, for, for deliverance. But, but, but when we leave our first love, we become the desensitized to those sins that distract us and enslave us. We begin to love something or someone more than we love Christ. And we no longer care about those who Christ loved. He loved all of us, but Christ loved the, and, and, uh, the, the, the needy, the poor, uh, the least, the lost, and the left out. We no longer have a passion for the poor, the needy, least lost and left out. And here's what Christ wants. Christ wants us to love him as he loves us. You know what he did? He demonstrated his love for us on Calvary. God commended his love. God showed his love, demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. He suffered, died for us. Not because he was forced to do it, but because he loved us. And he desired to bring us into a genuine relationship with God. He says, I want you to love me. Someone, someone else wrote, a church can love its buildings more than it loved Jesus. He can love its traditions more than it loves Jesus. Love its history more than it loves Jesus. Love its programs more than it loves Jesus. Love its missions more than it loves Jesus. Jesus wants us to love him more than anything else in this world. He wants us to love him more than we love our our, our, our husbands, our wife, our children, our parents, more than anything else in this world, he wants us to love him first. And so he made a passionate plea. He says, here's what I want you to do. He says, remember. He says, what I want you to do in order to get this thing right. He says, remember, remember what it was like when their love was powerful and the most important thing in their life. I, I, when I was in my tradition, when I was growing up, they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow, they wouldn't allow us to, to confess our faith in Jesus Christ until we were 12. The old people said that, that. By the time he's 12, he, he'll, 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 know what he, he'll know what he wants to do. But my father said, uh, I told my father when I was 10 that I wanted to accept Christ as my Savior. My father said, I don't care what nobody says. If he wants to accept Christ, he's going to accept Christ. And one Thursday evening in a revival, I accepted Christ at age 10. And all oh, the love, I mean, everybody knew I was saved. Everybody knew I loved Jesus, even as a boy. But through the years, that love began to wane. And Jesus says, I want you to remember how much you used to love me. You remember you used to tell everybody about how much you loved me? You, every time, every, every, people, you get tired of you talking about me. I just want you to remember 
what it was like when you first, when I first came into your heart. Then it says, repent and turn your life around. Change your mind. That's what repentance is. A change of mind that should cause you to change your actions. And then repeat and do the things that you once did. Spend time in prayer, the word of God. Fall in love with me all over again. And listen to this. He gave them a warning. He says, if you don't repent, listen to what he says. If you don't return to your first love, he says, I will come to you and quickly Remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. In other words, he would remove the fire of his spirit from among them. He said, in essence, you still may have your buildings. You you still may have your programs. You may still have your busy schedules. You still you you may still attract new people uh, with you know with beautiful buildings and with your great ministries. He says, but the power of God will be missing, and 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 you will be nothing but an empty shell. He said. He said. He says you will look like a church. You will. You will. You will. You will do church stuff. You will. You will. You will praise. You will do praise and worship. You will. You will sing and you will preach. You will pray. You will do all the things that a church does. He says you will look like a church. You will act like a church, but your power will be superficial, and it won't be supernatural. You know, I found out that you can do great work. Without the power of the Holy Spirit. You, you, can, you, you, can do, you can do amazing work. Without the Holy Spirit's help. You just need people who have a desire to do it. You need people who have organizational skills. People who, people who are great in, 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 in organizing. And great in influencing others to do. You can do a great work. You can have a great ministry. Great music ministry. You need skilled musicians and, and good singers. That, that, that you don't have to have. An, I'm, uh, these people are anointed. You don't have to have. But you don't have to have anointed. Sing, or you need a talented people. And you can have a great music ministry. You can have a great church. But it won't have the power of the Holy Spirit. It would be superficial. You can do great things. But you can't do the work of God. That he calls us to do under the power of God. Without the power with superficial power. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. And I'm finished with this. All that is left in the, of the city of Ephesus today are ruins that remind us of just how beautiful that city once was. The church died and the city died around it. And I believe this afternoon, this morning, this afternoon, whatever time it is, Jesus is calling for us the church to remember where we once were. Remember 
the love we once felt for the Savior. Remember how grateful we were to him for dying on our behalf and return to him. Pull out all the stops. Get back, hallelujah, to a life of walking with him. That, that was a song that, that we used to sing earlier when I was a boy, and I, I, we still sing it. it it's a song that, 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 that says, uh, uh, Oh, how I love Jesus. I don't know if you wrote it, but Alan Jackson, the country western singer, sings it. Here's the words. There's a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music to my ear. The sinner's, the sweetest name on earth. And then it says, it tells me of a Savior's love who died to set me free. It tells me of his precious blood, the sinner's perfect plea. It tells of the one whose heart, whose, whose loving heart can feel my deepest woe. Who in, each, who in each sorrow bears a part that none can bear below. Then the, then, then the course says these words. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. This, there's a musician by the name of Jonathan, Buff, Jonathan Butler. He sings both gospel music and popular music. He, 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 he wrote a song, um, and, and I wanted to talk with the musician to see if he knew it. But he wrote this song, um, that says these words, falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever done. In his arms, I feel protected. In his arms, never disconnected. In his arms, I feel protected. There's no place I would rather be. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever done. The question is, do we really love Jesus? Can we truly sing that song, Oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me do we still remember how it was when we fell in love with Jesus Jesus said to them as I close to him her who overcomes I will give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God this word overcome carries the idea of conflict and struggle the person who overcomes conquers and gains the victory every now and then and I don't know about you but I find myself after all of these years of walking with God I still have conflicts I still have struggles that I have to deal with and he says he who overcomes will gain victory he overcomes everything that pulls his heart away from Christ God said in essence 
the same tree that Adam had access to in the garden of Eden in Genesis and lost it. I'm giving it to, to the ones who overcome. And I don't know about anyone else in this room today, but that's what I want to be. I want to be an overcomer. I, I want to be in love with Jesus. I want, I want my life to be, be filled. And, uh, I want people to see that I love him. I, I, I love the things he gives me, but I love him more than the things he gives me, more than, more than anything in this world. I, I want to love him. And, and I don't want anything or anyone to hinder my love for Christ. So my prayer to God is the same prayer that David prayed in Psalm 51 have mercy upon me O God according to thy loving kindness according to the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions forgive me for my sins create in me a clean heart in other words work on me when I, when, I, when I come to grips with the fact that, I, that I'm loving something else other than, than you, work on me, work on my heart, work on my mind. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I know I'm saved, but every now and then I may, I may lose the joy of my salvation. Restore unto me. Put it back. Put back that thing that used to make me cry sometimes when nothing was wrong with me. Put, put back that thing when that, 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 that makes that put clapping in my hand and, and sometimes running in my feet. Put back that joy that I once had because I don't want to be one. That you look at and say, Glover, I love the work that you do. An awesome job, man. Been doing this a long time. But nevertheless, I have this against you. You left your first love. Father, we thank you now for challenging us today. In Jesus' name.